0: Hi everyone, welcome to our channel Course at Compass, and this is your host, Sushant Achmani. In today's digital and hyperconnected world, almost every enterprise is pitched with hundreds of marketing and analytics solutions almost every year. Each and every SaaS and license-based product vendor is striving for a bigger and bigger percentage of the share of wallet of their buyer persona. But unfortunately, a very small percentage of vendors are managed to close a respectable deal. If you look at the B2B sales funnel for any mid-sized to large product company a significant percentage of leads are not able to cross the first two chasms of the B2B sales funnel. And if you go deeper, there are multiple reasons behind that. It could be improper positioning, an unclear value proposition, a lower brand equity, or even a poor content. To discuss more on these reasons and how to put together a right team mix to ensure a better positioning of the product and expedite the conversion process, we have with us today Joseph Sursa, who is a consultant, an analyst, a storyteller, and a highly seasoned sales professional managing the EMEA sales operations for course Intelligence. Joseph, it's a pleasure to have you again with us on the podcast and looking forward to have some great insights. Thank you, Sushant. As always, I am um, excited to be here
1: with you. Um, And as you mentioned, I've been in the business now for for a few years, specifically for go-to-market with products and services. It's been over 20 years, so I'm
0: very excited to be part of this conversation. Great. So, Joseph, before we start, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and all our wonderful listeners. Indeed. So same to you. So, so just so I know you have been working in this industry for uh, many, many decades now and have played multiple roles as a consultant, as an analyst, and I think if you look at your in the, the earlier days of your professional journey, you have done some really good hands-on stuff with a lot of product companies and for the last few years, you have been playing a lot of active role in the sales and product marketing. So just, just help me understand that how this whole product business is evolving and how this industry is transforming over the years, if you could just share some of your experiences on that.
1: Sure. Um, so if we just you know, cover some of the basics first, and then we can talk about some of the trends and some of the evolutions. So um, something that I've coined um, a while back, and I call it the holy trinity. And the reason why I was trying to find a catchy uh, title is because I wanted it to be memorable. And essentially what I mean by that is the bringing together of the product marketing folks, product management folks, and the sales folks. So something that um, has been a very well-known opportunity and challenge is how do you get those three teams to work together um, in harmony? Um, step-by-step as they take products to market, as they build the funnels that you refer to, and as they grow their uh, influence and and revenue plans in their particular segments. Um, And that holy trinity does vary a little by the product that we take to market. Um, In the conversation today, we are predominantly focusing on technology products, because that's that's what Course 5 is all about, and so that that combination of people have got to solve for a couple of things. In the early parts of the journey, it's about product fit and product market fit. And then the latter stages is about that repeatability, that scalability, and that profitability uh, growth that they need as the years roll by and, um, and need to continue to build on the strengths of those early days. And in these early stages, it is quite tricky, as you highlighted, to to achieve that product and market fit um, and in in simple terms it is all about identifying the pain that we want to solve for in our marketplace and then winning those early few clients let's call them a dozen clients and then between that journey and the product development we can claim that we have entered that product market fit so we have enough clients that have invested and bought and used it we've got some feedback from real examples and we are addressing a particular pain. That's the early stages. And then after that, we need to start scaling the operation. Um, And so that means understanding where our customers are, where our customer expectations are, where the market is going, where the competition is going. So it becomes a little more complex because there's more variables. But in essence, that's the heart of the um, that journey that, that, that we're tackling here. Um, in terms of where things have changed, uh, there's been many areas, I'll pick one, and then maybe you can you can add to it if you wish. But that relationship of trust, so a lot of the buying cycles are all based on trust. And as you talked about in the funnel, we have the the classic definition of the phases, which is somebody becomes aware of your product and your company, then they begin to consider things, then they begin to make some preferences, then they purchase, and then hopefully you build some loyalty. Um, building that trust in in previous years was a combination of uh, relationships and and uh, previous track records, and then obviously uh, digital content and uh, and various you know cycles of demonstrations or proof of concept, and so on. Nowadays, because the world has moved a lot further into digital, um, the clients are able to do their own uh, consideration without too much support from from the vendors. And that means they are deeper into potentially a purchase cycle. But also the trust has to be established through more digital media and digital content and authoritative references and so on. So that balance of trust, uh, whereas in the old days we were able to rely on, you know, uh, frontline salespeople to share that. Now, some of that has moved on to digital. And so the challenges there are different. So hopefully that gives you a um, an initial positioning and, and introduction into the topic of what it's about, and then some of the areas that have changed.
0: Absolutely. Excellent, Joseph. So Joseph, in my experience, if I look at my last 20 years, uh, I've got a privilege to work on three uh, product journeys and uh, and in all the journeys, one thing that I always found it quite challenging is the positioning of the product, the whole launching of a product in the market. And irrespective of that how good your product is, how strong your value proposition is, or how well with you are with your features, The moment you launch it, it's it's a completely different ballgame. And uh, understanding that the the emotions, understanding your buyer personas, it's so, so critical in today's landscape because there are so many products are already there in the ecosystem. And our buyer personas are being pitched almost every year by hundreds of different vendors. Now, how are you going to cut that noise? And how are you going to come out of that noise and position? That's always been my biggest challenge in the last 20 years. So mm-hmm. so what what's your perspective on that? Um, generally
1: speaking, when we're talking about products, uh, clearly we need to be differentiated. Yes, we're addressing a pain that others have addressed or are addressing or planning to address within their portfolio. But uh, that positioning that you referred to um, in a world where we are highly congested with information, with digital stimuli, with lots of conversations. Uh, we need to keep it reasonably straightforward. And I always say, what are the one or two salient points about your product that make a difference? Um, so let's pick something that's very vivid and sort of uh, different um, from here, just to sort of make the point. But if we take some of the electric cars that are you know, on our streets today, um, before uh, our good friend at Tesla came along, there were a few vehicles in the marketplace. There were a few early entries, some by the big manufacturers, some by the niche. And what he and his team did, this is Elon Musk and team, they obviously focused on that segment, realizing that the tide was changing, but they did two things. One is they came up with some very memorable things. Their cars included some very memorable things, and they supported the ecosystem around the car, which is all these chargers and all these stations and the, the investments in batteries because one of the early challenges was I'd love to buy a car but how am I going to charge it regularly where am I going to go how many miles can I go right um, and so they were memorable in terms of you know the ridiculous speed and acceleration that they had and then the second car had these goal wings and so they looked very different and futuristic and but there were lots of other electric cars before and there's been lots of electric cars afterwards but they're the ones who stand out so that concept of being memorable is so 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 important in a very busy um, environment. And so when it comes to um, technology products and software and so on, I have found that sometimes to be differentiated in that positioning, you've got to distance yourself from other software vendors. In this case, we're talking about software platforms, right? Or, and you need some very memorable things. Very, very memorable things. Um, and those memorable um, aspects of the offering could be the way that we go to market. So the way that the client is buying or investing in, the model varies. Uh, we can talk about you know, how SaaS was developed and some of the variations of that in the marketplace. So there's some creativity in the way that the client and the vendor are sharing the risk of investing in that initial project. And then the other one is to be memorable either by a very specific feature or a very specific uh, success milestone. So in our case with course five and the the solutions that we manage, some of the very early clients were very large global organizations. So these are easy to remember. For a prospect to know that a very large um, food and drinks company invested in this platform from the get-go, they will remember that. And so they will share it with somebody else. So that is a very memorable point that they can carry as they are trying to build their own purchase journey to come along onto those next steps of preference and purchase. Um, And then the other one is sometimes, and you've been here because you've been through lots of very large um, segments like in the US and you've worked in in other parts of the world. Um, We find that buyers sometimes don't have enough information to truly position what we are positioning to them. So they don't know which bucket to put it in. You know, it feels like this, it sounds like this, it reminds me of this. But sometimes if you just remind them of what you are not, that tends to achieve that, 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 you know, that success, which is you're helping them put you in the right bucket from the beginning. And so if you're in the right bucket and you're distinct from the other competition, the other areas, then there is a good chance that between that and some memorable aspects of your offering, you will stick out, you know, in a, in a, in a group of three or four competitors or in an RFP or in, a, in an early sort of early positioning
0: discussion. Does the make- Zamek? Yeah, absolutely. I think I really like that whole analogy of uh, delivering that memorable experience. And uh, no doubt, our dear friend, Elon Musk, is the second richest man in the world now. And uh, and it's kind of sad that this week, uh, uh, we also lost a great soccer player, uh, Maradona, and I'm sure... You are being a a brick soccer fan. He's a, such a wonderful brand. The kind of memorable experiences he has delivered during his career. Uh, is there anything we can learn from there uh, that some of the product vendors can learn from those experiences from this wonderful game? Um,
1: well, the uh, the game of of football is <laughs> it's quite polarizing for a lot of people in terms of discussions. Um, the rules have evolved and changed over the years, but the reality is it's still an emotional experience. So whether we sit in the stadiums or whether we watch on television, um, we are constantly, the fans of football are constantly looking at individual players and say, how does this player compare to that? What is his background? Where did he come from? And then there is that emotional profiling that we place on a Maradona or on a Cruyff or on a Pele or on some of the leading Messis and Ronaldos. So um, the definition of memorable in that respect, is that combination of where did they come from? Because now they are very fortunate, right? They're very famous. They're very successful. Uh, often they're being paid a lot of money. So we always think, you know, there's that balance of, you know, do they deserve it? and Did they earn it? And where did they come from? So there's always that profile. And then there's the magic of what they're achieve in a field when there's another, um, you know, dozen plus players on the pitch and they can still stand out with a teammate or on their own, the skill, the 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 speed of thinking, and then the speed of action. So um, they are they are memorable in small examples, but very powerful examples. And then they're memorable in terms of what they stand for. So there's two aspects. Because as I said, with a footballer. We look at them as icons, but we realize that they are very fortunate and they're very, uh, they're very much in the public eye. And so we naturally gravitate to where did they come from? You know, where did this all start? You know, how, what was their journey? And so we, we profile them and that becomes their story. So their purpose, why did they come, why are they here? And then the more detailed magic that they deliver um, on the pitch, in World Cups, you know, in front of the penalty spot, sometimes even, you know, in front of the interview mic. When they say the right things, or they say the wrong things, and you know, a famous one for that is Slatan Ibrahimovic, who is probably the most famous Swedish football player, and we always wait for those, you know, interviews with the press because he's always got something memorable to say. So, uh, so that you're right,
0: there is there's some good examples to draw from that. And I know that behind every successful player, there is a wonderful team, whether from the marketing, the branding, the coach, and the rest of the team players, and if you take it back to our corporate world, so behind every product, there is also a team. I think you talked about the holy trinity of the marketing, the product, and the sales. Based on your experiences, what what are some of the key skills that this team needs to have so that they can have a very smoother product launch? So that mm-hmm. they can avoid some of those pitfalls, which a lot of companies experiences during the early stages of their launch. Yeah. Well, how how, how long have you got? <laughs> it's quite a long, quite a long conversation just on the team structure. How about we pick uh, the top three on top of your mind? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's take it. Yeah, as you say, sort of the high level. So. One is there needs to be an attempt to try and map onto the buying teams. And in today's world, if we look at the data that people like Microsoft and, and others are sharing, and they say that you know, it takes more than a dozen touch points um, to, to create that traction with a prospect. So just sending them one email or them seeing one advert, you, know, you need about 12 touch points to get that traction where you're really in a deep conversation Uh, simply because as I said there's a lot of information flying around there are stimuli both um, in analog offline digital phones everywhere so it's quite difficult to break through all that Um, so with that in mind a typical buying cycle today for your average technology platform you know of the like of the things that we do at course five they will typically be a sponsor very often there'll be a technical buyer and sometimes there'll be a business buyer and the technical buyer and the business buyer have two different roles um, in what they're trying to establish out of the uh, the offering and then there's a sponsor who's holding the the, the budgets for the for the long term and the strategy and the um, and the roadmap um, so there's there's one side which is how do we map onto that you know do we put one salesperson to speak to all of them that's a bit tricky because sometimes they don't even talk the same language uh, and they don't have the same terms of reference. So you might need at least two or three specialists from the vendor side, from our side, where they differentiate. So one of them might be more technical, and they talk about some of the more technical aspects of the, of the platform, either its integration or its deployment or the way it, it's managed or the way that it you know, it works. And then we've got you know, environments, the cloud and all these things. Then we got somebody who's more managing the implementation. So this is now project management, uh, the delivery. um, What does the first six months look like? What does the first year look like? And so they're more hands-on with the people who are going to be using it. So the super users and the users. And then there is the more strategic side, which is relating to the sponsor and some of the strategic roadmaps that they have. So that's one conversation to have, and that's one place definitely to prepare for and to be ready for. The other one is a lot of this does not find any airtime unless you have an, an evangelist at the front end. So any product, in my experience, you've got a good evangelist at the front end, you got a much better success rate of actually getting into the right conversations, getting in the right forums, whether it is a conference or it's a meeting or it's a, um, a brown paper bag session that a lot of corporates run where they invite vendors to describe you know some of their new innovation. Uh, you need an evangelist. So um, the evangelist is all about storytelling, um, people don't see them as sales, they don't see them as um, somebody who's trying to get, you know, some some commitment, the evangelist is there to describe amazing stories, inspiring stories, um, engaging understanding of the problem, engaging understanding of the pain points of certain enterprises, that's what the evangelist is, and people will come and ask questions, they will engage with this person because he's interesting, or she's interesting, or um, she's got a lot of experience in that domain or, or she's cracked the problem in a previous company or um, she has met a lot of customers and interviewed a lot of prospects. So, the evangelist is an important one, and then mapping onto the to the, um, to, the uh, to the buying cycle. So that's the product side, product team, if you want. Um, then we have product marketing, and then we have um, product management. So they're more um, sort of specialist areas. Um, I think the best way to, to to describe that, because as I said, you know, just to keep the the minutes down, we all can imagine that we take to market a product, and we have marketing running maybe some positioning or maybe some high-level branding. We got marketing, possibly running some webinars, maybe the old podcast. Um, Obviously we're investing in SEO because we want the name of the product to be um, memorable and come up on the right page at Google and on Bing. And and we run events and trade shows. One thing I've learned is that all these activities between product marketing, marketing and the product team that are contributing to all these things, right? It's easy to get very busy, but it's less easy to qualify what is working and then to have the confidence to say, Let's stop doing that. It is not contributing to lead generation. So it's very easy to do lots of events, lots of campaigns. We can do a campaign on LinkedIn. We can do a campaign by email. We can do a campaign by SMS. We can do webinars, podcasts, events, trade shows. But it's less easy to stop doing some of these things and saying it is not contributing to leads. And that is the holy grail. Of that combination of you know product marketing, product management, and marketing more broadly, because you know the product is within a suite of products, typically you know in course five. Um, so hopefully that that makes sense to you, um, and that is quite difficult to to achieve. And you know you need
0: some serious confidence and No, absolutely, absolutely, Joseph. And uh, and Joseph, based on what I have experienced lately. I was reading an article where they mentioned about the whole product business has become a storytelling business nowadays. And I think yeah. the vendors have learned this art of storytelling. And I think that a lot of evolution has happened. And this whole uh, the concept of empathy, the storytelling, almost from small to large vendors, they are, I think, practicing it. They are trying to inculcating in each and every messaging that it's, they are publishing, either through social, either through uh, maybe your paid search or SEOs, and even through other channels, I think the, the, the industry is becoming more and more competitive and people are learning the whole traits of the business. But I was in a meeting with a, a very famous Gartner analyst recently, and he talked to something very interesting that uh, most of the the CIOs and the CDOs are pissed with so many interesting stories every year. Yeah. And the sad part is that they end up investing in a lot of solutions. But After a few months or after a year of deployment and everything, then they realize that, oh, my God, it's not a technology game. Ultimately, these are just the enablers. What we need is still those humans to take action. And lately, in the last few years, we have started discounting those real human capital, those real decision makers, those action takers and put a lot of energy and investment behind the technology. So so the things have to change in the next few years. I think the human capital is the most critical part because without them, it's very difficult to see a true ROI out of that investment because you need people to take action. So are you seeing the similar experiences in your, in your area? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So it's a very good point. Um, so at one end there is a conversation about customer expectations, right? And then what a lot of vendors do is then they focus on the ideal customer profile, which is a good thing, right? So customer expectations in this highly competitive space, people want ROI within six months, average. Um, they want things working in their environment, on average. They want to stay away from black boxes, on average. Um, they would prefer not to be in the bleeding edge, you know. They want to know that another couple of customers have onboarded, um, and so they've got this this ideal set of expectations that a lot of customers are are getting into right as as they bought many and as you said some of them have not worked out or have not worked out the way they wanted it, right? So what a lot of people, vendors do, is they design an ideal profile. And so they pick, you know, the segments, the shape and size of the business, the personas, any prerequisites. So in our case, cloud, you know, how does a company got a, a mature footing in a cloud environment? Um, that would be one of our prerequisites. And then what is their go-to-market? What I, is the client's go-to-market so that we can understand how to operate within their environment, right? Um, so... The customer expectation is on one side of the equation, but what we have learned over the years is that, as you say, automation is only as good as it gets. What we really need is adoption and then utilization of the solution. And if we expect all of that to happen at the end of the implementation cycle, by then, either people have walked away from the excitement or because, you know, we could be months into the implementation all the team has changed, all the stakeholders and the sponsors have changed. And that does happen. And so in order to maximize adoption and the delivery of a high-impact solution, a lot of the discussions about the actions we take with the solution, with the results that the solution is producing or helping us produce, and then the adoption have to happen really early on. Uh, and that is one thing we've learned, is that the storytelling about what it can do is one thing, but then there needs to be an ongoing storytelling about how to best use it how to best deploy it how to best integrate it quite early on right um i've seen it done literally you know as part of the business case so the business case is is the final sort of um you know official process that um, that a buyer will take and even then they would like to understand adoption rollout plans integration Um, how are these actions need to be taken by the team that's going to be using it? You know, what is the definition of the super user? What do we expect? What is a day in the life of? What is a month in the life of? Not what was traditionally done, which is you deliver all the automation and then you advise people, okay, this is how you use it. That has proven to be an inadequate way of ensuring um, that stickiness
0: that we all want from those products in the first six months and 12 months. Absolutely. And uh, Joseph, before we uh, go to the last stage of our conversation, I just wanted to ask you one more question. I know uh, in our today's landscape, uh, the number of win opportunities are always very, very small percentage as compared to the losses that happens and, and the whole win-loss analysis has become a very critical part of any product business, that how we can learn from our failures, how we can become that learning organization mm-hmm. and, uh, and capitalize on that knowledge by speaking to some of the prospects or the people who are already using our products. So is there any kind of a standard framework that you follow any your, your any of your lessons learned that how the product companies can do a more effective win loss analysis?
1: Yeah. So um, at the heart of this, is essentially a set of feedback loops because to only track it at a, you know, CRM level, you know, we won that one, this one got this far in the funnel and then we, we didn't win that one is not enough, right? Um, If the product has been running for, you know, five years, and we have a lot of data and then we want to track it at a high level in CRM, maybe, but if your product has been in the market for a couple of years, and it's still early days, you need feedback loops. Now feedback loops, I know you're a big fan of uh, because you've actually built it into your product. So, I know how, how, in, how important that is to you, but feedback loops are about getting two-way exchanges with your prospects, whether things work out or not, whether you're at the beginning of the cycle, in the middle of the cycle, or towards the end of the buying cycle, and then it doesn't you know, progress onto a purchase. Um, all of that is based on good relationships, yeah. good interpersonal relationships where we are being crystal clear, we're being very transparent, and we are helping them in their buying journey. Just as they are helping us with understanding the scope, that is priority for them. Um, so, in terms of framework, it is about you know taking note and and instigating these feedback loops, ideally in every journey, in every conversation we're having with with leads and with prospects and with hot hot uh, prospects. Um, I have an example literally from last week where we've been talking with this. Um, large um, sort of electronics company that does with um, heating systems and air conditioning and, and other sort of similar uh, products in the marketplace. Um, and we've been talking for, for um, a couple of months about a an opportunity in competitive intelligence. Um, and during our conversation, something came up on their end, and they were told that another division of their company may be able to provide something equivalent to what we're doing, right? So they decided maybe the best thing to do now is to step away from from you guys. Uh, We're going to go and explore what this other opportunity or other source of uh, support is. And then we may talk to you sometime next year, right? Now, because the relationship was very good and very transparent, I've been talking for for a couple of months, um, my team went back and said, look, while you're exploring the other one, why don't we also produce some examples from what our competitive analysis services can produce And that way, come early next year, which is early 21, uh, you will have two things to compare, right? Uh, As long as we keep this transparency, we will provide you with some good examples. You can compare them to what, you know, that other division of the company claims it can do. And that way, we're still in the game. We still get an opportunity to pitch. But at the same time, you got another thing to compare. And guess what? They loved the idea. They loved the idea that we had a transparent discussion. We were able to build on the feedback loops that they've given us. And now Mm -hmm. those feedback loops are going to, translate into more discussions about what will that you know proof of concept look like will it actually achieve the um, the measures and the and the deliverables that they need and then we're going to go to the next round of deliverable and there'll be more feedback so the win-loss analysis at one level can be very statistical but if you want some really good data if you want to really understand those 10 or 12 um things in the pipeline that are sort of, you know, 30%, 50% conversion, 70%, 90% conversion, to just track them at a high level will not give you much. I think you need to have conversations with people. And if they say timing was not right, if they say um, the buying process and priorities have changed, if they say um, the value add ROI that we were hoping for doesn't quite add up to what we were looking at because you're focusing more on e-com and we're focusing more on something else, um, that is great valuable feedback. And that goes into that
0: win-loss analysis. So that, that, that's my experience. That's been my experience in adding a lot more detail and color. Thank, thanks, Joseph. And I think I totally agree with you on the whole relevance of feedback loop here. And in fact, Uh, Soon we're going to have another uh, podcast session on this whole topic of feedback analysis with me and uh, David McBride probably in the month of Jan. We're going to discuss on how the companies can actually lay the foundation of this feedback loop uh, across their workforce and and actually see the true value out of their investment that they've done. So maybe that's for another topic for another time. But thank Indeed. you, Joseph. Thanks for these uh, great insights as always. And uh, I wish you Thanksgiving once again. And to all our listeners, if you have any questions, any comments, any feedback on this, uh, on this podcast, you can always share your experiences with us on our website, and you can go to our channel, course 5 temples. And uh, Joseph, thanks once again. Have a lovely Thanksgiving weekend and enjoy with the family.
1: Thank you, Sushant. Same to you and to our audience, wishing you all fruitful go-to-market plans and related product endeavors. And as Sushant said, if you need to, to reach out to us or leave us any updates, um, you can find us at www.course5i.com. And uh, speak to you soon. Thanks again. Take care, guys.